This podcast is intended for UK and Ireland healthcare professionals only. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Series 3, Episode 1 of the ILD Academy Spotlight Podcasts, brought to you by Boehringer Ingelheim. Featuring prominent members of the UK and Ireland interstitial lung disease community, these podcasts hope to shine a spotlight on the great work being done around the country and break down some of the challenges facing us in delivering excellent care to our patients. My name is Dr. Anne-Marie Russell, a clinical academic at the University of Exeter and Royal Devon University Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, with a special interest in patient-reported measures in interstitial lung disease and patient-centred approaches. The title of this episode is Exploring Integrated Care Systems in ILD, The Challenges of Serving Undeserved Populations in the UK. And joining me on today's episode is Dr. Tim Gatherall, a consultant respiratory physician at the University Hospitals of Morecambe Bay. Tim is also co-lead of the ILD North Lancashire and Cumbria ILD Network and a senior clinical lecturer in the medical school at Lancaster University. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. Pleasure to be here to speak to you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, delighted to to have you. And and I wonder, Tim, um, if we could just start by um, you telling us a little bit about yourself as as a person and uh, and how you came to have the current role that you have now. Absolutely, a pleasure to. So I've been up here in um, in Lancaster and uh, also Kendall and, and and the whole sort of area since 2014. Uh, most of my training was down in uh, London, so I lived in southwest London in Wimbledon for many years. And, and what attracted me up to this part of the world was um, uh, into professionally was actually the opportunities to start and develop a service and develop an interstitial lung disease service in our trust, but also the close links with um, excellent institutions such as Lancaster University, which, as you say, I now work for as a senior clinical lecturer. So, you know, a, a big and emerging medical school. So lots of opportunity, um, as well as the attractions of the great outdoors. So it's been, it's been a great family move as well, but but lots of work to do. Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. Uh, um, I'm sure you you don't have to struggle so much with air pollution uh, compared to the Southwest London days. Indeed. Um, but that leads quite nicely into um, my first question, which was really um, having arrived in the uh, Lancaster Morecambe Bay area. What was the needs that you faced um, that led to setting up a, an ILD service um, across Morecambe Bay, Preston and Blackburn? Absolutely. So when I first arrived, it was a very sort of traditional um, secondary care setup that we had in Morecambe Bay. You would have general respiratory physician colleagues um, with, with a mixed list, um, which included, of course, patients with interstitial lung disease. For antifibrotic therapies were already established nationally uh, at that time. And so if patients were identified as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and potentially suitable for uh, specialist treatments, they required referral uh, down to the, the nearest tertiary centre, which um, the majority would have been in, in Withenshaw in Manchester. And we had a really good collaborative um, service with them. Um, and all other centres, including Newcastle and Liverpool for some patients. Now, uh, as I say, we had a, we continue to have an excellent working relationship with those centres, but um, one of the particular challenges is the geography up here. Um, so just in Morecambe Bay Trust alone, uh, we have hospitals in Barrow and Furness, in Lancaster and Kendall, 
Um, as the crow flies, it's pretty quick to get to Barrow, but unfortunately, it's a fifty-mile journey uh, by road to to get to Barrow. So it's, it's quite um, can, can be quite isolated and peninsular. As you know, patients with fibrotic lung disease are often uh, older uh, and can be very frail. They have multiple symptoms. They may require oxygen. Um, two hours negotiating the ring road in Manchester, you know, is a big challenge to these patients. So that. We know I think, from national data that the further away you are from a tertiary teaching centre, a specialist centre, perhaps the less likely you are to be on specialist medications. And we'd seen that with some of the data in our severe asthma uh, cohort as well, particularly in the Barrow area. So I very much recognised that we needed to set up a, a specific clinic for these patients because they're very complex. They need plenty of attention. We need a specialist nurse um, set up and I managed to get the business case in to, to do that. So it was really rebuilding a service from the beginning to ensure high quality locally because it's very important um, that patients who live in uh, peripheral areas should have access to excellent care and up-to-date drugs, access to trials and all of those things. So that was really the motivation. This It's not Morgan Bay alone. So I have uh, colleagues in our system is based in a, a network with Preston, uh, Lancashire Teaching Hospitals in Preston, and also uh, in, in Black, the hospital colleagues in, in Blackburn. So there was already an existing ILD service in Preston with my colleague, uh, Dr. Yusuf Hader, and that had been there for some years. And he was very keen to build upon his experience and actually be able to offer a specialist service as a network. Um, also reflecting, you know, it's quite a large population when you include all of those centers, um, and a large population that was moving long distances to get specialist care. So that, that was some of the motivation for both the, the very local service development in Morecambe Bay and the, the, the wider network. And that obviously takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. We'll maybe speak a little bit more about that. So thinking how that's evolved over time and and now patients have the chance to be referred to you through to treatment. I I guess, how does does that work uh, clinically? Um, Maybe we could explore a little bit about whether you've been able to quantify how that's impacting either at an individual level or more generally across the service. Sure. So as you say, this was something that took time and evolution. And I think that's relevant because a lot of the challenges we're experiencing as an ILD community um, now, particularly with the widening of the remit for specialist therapies across many different fibrotic interstitial lung diseases, is how are we going to manage that workload? And I think one of the first steps in certainly Morecambe Bay was to establish that specialist clinic so that we could actually do uh, proper collaborative working with a specialist centre in terms of drug monitoring. So we weren't prescribing at that stage, but we were able to do um, to take a to take a lot of the burden of the monitoring, the drug monitoring, and and the patient support. Um, but as you say, we, we further developed the service now to be a prescribing network, um, and it's operated as uh, I wouldn't say hub and spoke so much uh, as um, sort of satellite clinics with running out of Preston as the main provider. So our specialist ILD MDT is, um, post-COVID, a virtual MDT, as many have become, uh, and that's run from uh, Lancashire Teaching Hospitals. The radiology input is from there, and uh, we all virtually attend that from the different centres, Blackburn and Morecambe Bay at present. We're hoping, beginning to get Blackpool, uh, Victoria Hospital also uh, incorporated into that. It's taken a little longer. Um, 
So the, the central currency, if you like, of the service is that central MDT with um, specialist ILE pharmacy support via that MDT. So how the service works as a whole is that each individual satellite, so for example, myself, I run ILD clinics across the different sites in my trust. I get referrals directly to me from colleagues and also from primary care. And I'll touch upon that in a bit more detail because we also have further integrated uh, that's another thing that I'm involved with uh, in, in terms of a community respiratory integrated care service, which actually enables me to identify ILD patients very early and, and get them investigated. So as a general rule, we, we would see our own patients um, in locally to the patient in our clinic, and then we would work, work them up um, appropriately. We have access to the relevant specialist investigations we need, bronchoscopy, bronchoalveolar lavage, all the blood testing, rheumatology advice, etc. And then we will select uh, patients um, uh, who need that further MDT discussion for diagnostic difficulty, or of course, if we are considering access to specialist medications. Um, I think what's a bit different perhaps to the traditional tertiary center ILD role is that um, we're obviously, we maybe have a, a larger population of patients with ILD including patients that may not have actually seen tertiary centres in the past. We, we, we know that if, particularly when the prescribing rules were more uh, tight for antifibrotics, um, that certain perhaps very frail patients may not have actually been referred a very long journey to a tertiary centre if there was not going to be any potential change in their treatment. But those are patients that would still sit under my service locally. Um, so I think that's interesting because I think uh, as a wider point, some of the patients that have perhaps been captured in things like the ILD disease registry uh, have perhaps traditionally been more focused on that cohort of patients that attend specialist centres. So that's an interesting point about how changing service provision may change some of the nature of the patients that are coming through MDT. Um, so I digress, but so the service works and we see our patients uh, locally in the clinic. Um, they are then discussed virtually MDT. If for example, a patient is deemed to need antivibrotic therapy, then the prescription can be, uh, I can write the prescription, it's sent centrally to our uh, ILD pharmacist, all the necessary checks and balances, and then the drug will be delivered directly to the patient. So the patient who lives in the, in the tip of the Lake District in, in Barrow and Furness can come in a short distance to see me in clinic, have all their work up, MDT discussion and drug delivered without ever having to leave uh, their local area, which is, you know, a dramatic change on where we were uh, when I arrived, when they would have faced regular visits, um, expensive visits to Manchester. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure the patients really appreciate that. And the, the kind of environmental impact um, is, 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 of course, lessened as, as well as the comfort for the patient. It's always challenging for our breathless patients to have to, to travel to, to, to specialist centres, as you say. Um, just as, as an aside, it, I mean, you, you mentioned the MDT and, and um, thinking about the, the number of hospitals that, that you cover, your MDT must be a huge list. Yes, I mean, I think this is, and, and this is something that I think we're all battle planning in every service in, in how we cope with expansion as well. I mean, there has had to be a degree of um, selection of who is discussed. Um, and, and this is where I think there's a debate to be had and in an ideal world any patient with any 
fibrotic ILD needs to be discussed in the specialist MDT, but that isn't feasible with such a large population simply for diagnostic purposes. We have to be targeted in who we're discussing in terms of, of treatment decisions. Um, but that's, you know, there'd be people that would disagree with that approach. And, and it potentially means that, the, as I say, there's a biased sample of patients that you are um, discussing in MDT. Um, but, I mean, obviously, in the development of the service, which took some time, a lot of negotiation with NHS England, we really had to make the the point that this was, um, we deserved to be considered as a service because of the potential efficiencies and savings we could make because as i'm sure you all know there's an awful lot of duplication in traditional pathways of care multiple repetitions of investigations and clinic time and at the present as as you know there's an absolute laser focus on waiting lists and uh, and we've got to, to extract as much efficiency i think from our time as clinicians in impacting a patient journey and if multiple people are seeing a patient for the same reason that doesn't. That, that always struck me as a very inefficient model. Um, of course, patients may need second opinions in, in places, and that's absolutely fine. But that was our sort of selling point to NHS England. It was much better for the patient, much more local, reducing repetition of investigation and, and time, which I think we've certainly achieved. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and thinking of the 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 MDT and the interdisciplinary team that often supports uh, the patients that are discussed there, um, you mentioned a specialist ILD pharmacist and um, your your clinical nurse specialist as well. So, do you just have one clinical nurse specialist at, at, at the minute, or or do you do you have more nurses to support the patients? So each trust has its own uh, ILD nurse specialist team. I have one colleague uh, uh, who, who's sort of superhuman uh, <laughs> at the moment, and certainly there is a big argument um, to, 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 to increase that, and that that's an ongoing um, business uh, plan at the moment. So there are um, there were two colleagues at, at Preston and, and one currently in Blackburn now. There is an agreement for some cross cover in terms of offering advice to patients to cover leave and so on, but it is a very large geographical area. I don't think that's any different to the how it was before. You know, it's an excellent and very supportive specialist nurse team in Manchester, but they had a massive population to deal with, and of course, if they were trying to offer support to patients who are two hours drive away, it's very difficult because I, you know we accept that we do have to see our patients a fair amount in ILD and it's it, that kind of remote uh, support is challenging. So I think um, we certainly still have challenges in how we're going to uh, make those the argument that more specialist nurse time is needed. And I think that's a, a wider phenomenon across the piece in, in the country. But um, I certainly think we can provide that more local specialist input with our model. Yeah, uh, I I would agree entirely. I think that local knowledge is really key, particularly when it comes to um, other aspects of supportive care, pulmonary rehabilitation, oxygen therapy, etc. So, so thinking um, uh, thinking about the the the, the model that, that you've developed, um, do you see this being a model that would work in in, in other geographical areas? Or do you think that your your approach is specific, unique, given your geography? I don't I don't think we're specific. I think the geography is a big part of it. And I think, you know, for my time 
training in London and working at St George's Royal Brompton and seeing different how how specialist care is 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 divvied up if you like in in a big urban centre when the travel distances are different. I mean that that's there's, there's lots of different issues there which don't apply to us. There's a very clear logic to why we should develop a service here. But I know from speaking to colleagues around the country that there is a desire in in areas to try and replicate some of this. I think there's definitely a going to be an absolute need that we have far more sharing of care of monitoring of antifibrotics and that's that supportive uh, care of patients because it's not going to be possible with a much greater uh, remit for antifibrotics for that all to be done I think through a through a specialist clinic alone or a specialist center alone there's going to have to be sharing of care so I think that aspect of the model is definitely to be considered and I I suppose sometimes the example I sometimes when I'm teaching uh doctors or students about interstitial lung disease and I look at some of the statistics which we know can be can be pretty grim in terms of the burden of disease morbidity and mortality and often there's a there's a graph isn't there you can compare the mortality to many common cancers and I often use the point that if you were to develop symptoms of potential esophageal cancer you'd have a very rapid a pathway a two-week rule pathway to investigations and management it's very likely you'd be able to have a local oncologist to see you in your local hospital treatment decisions yes you may need referral to a specialist center if it's a specialist surgery but you would have an awful lot of very local expertise and i, I think we have to accept with fibrotic ild that this is a, is only going to expand more and more um there are more and more treatment options and we're going to have to devolve some of that care and decision making from from the center um i firmly believe that but it's got to be done with the right expertise the right collaboration to be able to build expertise and and that's where sort of experience in mdt and ensuring robust um specialist peripheral ild clinics are set up i don't think it works in a general respiratory clinic you've got to have someone who's able to take that leadership role um, for the service to work and, and the, the other thing that you mentioned I'm really interested in, Tim, is about thinking of, of early diagnosis um, and the way that you uh, work with uh, community respiratory teams and, and primary care. Could, could you just tell us a little bit more about that, please? Absolutely. So this is something I'm very proud of in my time in Morecambe Bay and um, I, I can't take most of the credit, unfortunately. I have an excellent colleague, uh, uh, Dr. Patrick Haslam, who, who's a, a local GP partner. And both of us, had, he'd actually trained um, before becoming a partner in, in uh, Lancaster in, on the respiratory ward and always had an interest. And we very much uh, kept in touch after he'd started his um, partnership and, and, and both had a desire to improve the um, join up the care between primary care and secondary care in terms of respiratory medicine. Really, part of it was saying, you know, when clinics are overrun, can we ensure that the right patients are in the clinic? Because a lot of a lot of the diagnostic work, a lot of the management could be easily facilitated by just early advice from a specialist and more, you know, more communication basically. So that's what uh, led to us working together, and we set up. Um, with help of many other people, the Morecambe Bay Respiratory Network, or the MBRN, or baybreathing.com, if anyone's interested in looking. Um, and that is uh, that has expanded across nearly the whole of Morecambe Bay, um, certainly the Barrow uh, end of the patch and, and Lancaster. And uh, essentially, there's funding for GPs in each practice to 
involved in the scheme to have some designated time to deal with respiratory cases. So that might be enhanced diagnosis. It may be post-exacerbation review. Um, so they have funded time for that and they participate in a monthly MDT, uh, one at each end of the patch, so two, two for me a month, uh, where we discuss the more complex cases. We The GPs have direct access to tests, lung function, scanning, blood panels, structured uh, diagnostic approaches so that's really the basics of it it's not rocket science but it but it works very well so from an ild perspective uh that means that you know a patient presenting with a cough perhaps an x-ray that's suggestive of some interstitial change if you think about a traditional model of care the patient would have had required a referral into secondary care then all the tests would be organized then the patient comes back and, and so forth um, now I can, the, the, the CT is organized, all the bloods are organized, the lung functions organized. I can see that patient virtually, if you like, in the MDT, community MDT, and decide on how urgently that patient needs to be seen um, and, and make sure that the pathway is very smooth. Um, so it's been a, a, a massive difference. Uh, and that must make, mean a lot to the patient as well. They must feel that they're getting timely care uh, and access to specialist services. Um, and, and and I wonder how it is is at the other end of that when the patient um, perhaps is more progressed and maybe more palliative care and more end of life. It might be too soon for you to to explore that, but I'm I'm guessing if the GP and the community team have been more involved at the diagnostic stage, there is a stronger continuity. Uh, at the other at the other end i mean i think that's a massive area that we need to explore and as much as we are proud of the advances we've made in in um, disease modifying therapies we have to accept that these are progressive and and very difficult diseases Um, and i think there's definitely a a gap we would agree in perhaps the the palliative care approach or recognition across the whole piece of community primary care for ILDs as say compared to advanced cancer I think it one of the the most beautiful things about our integrated project is just that you know who you're dealing with you know who is your lead person in each practice it breaks down a lot of the barriers and frustrations that exist because everyone's so busy and stressed so you know who to talk to Uh, those patients are as part of a journey um, so as you say from diagnosis onwards and it means the hand the handover not necessarily the hand but the handover of care for them that more supportive element um supporting families making sure that the, the social um input is there the plans the the, the end of life planning if that's appropriate all of that is so much easier because of that that therapeutic and, and colleague relationship that we've developed so i think you know that's that makes my life um and natalie my my nurse specialist life a lot easier yeah no fantastic um if you could change anything, if um, if funding was not restrictive, <laughs> perhaps, or, or or time, maybe more importantly, um, is there anything that you would want to um, to change in in the current model and the way that you're working? Uh, we've maybe picked up on a few of those things, but um, uh, perhaps the the sort of maybe top three. Um, I think. Um... I mean, I think that it would be nice as a network if actually we had that. Um more primary secondary care integrated approach across the whole piece but that's something we're hoping to develop in the uh the north lancashire footprint um to a greater degree because as i say i think there's massive advantages to that 
Um, uh, yes, there's an increasing amount of work that, 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 you know, the more scans that people have, the more ILD, there's lung cancer screening work going on in parts of the patch, which of course we know we're going to find out a lot of, a lot more early ILD. And now that we have potential changes to the rules that mean we can be prescribing earlier, there's all of that workforce, uh, demand is going to be there. So yes, I'd love a, a large amount of money and, and, and an infinite number of staff, but uh, that's, that's not necessarily realistic. Um, I think, um, I think probably in our model, as you said, the MDTs are busy. We probably need to be looking at increasing the frequency and, and how we cross cover our work. I think given what we haven't explored, because it's a slightly, you know, it's an unusual model, I know, compared to many centers, but we're working as a network with our own services, but perhaps thinking about making joint appointments across several hospitals uh, a little more. I mean, I, I do have clinics in both Preston and, and, and Morecambe Bay. Uh, myself but i think looking in the future to actually be recruiting because recruitment is another uh, it's fair to say in you know the morgan bay area it, it, it's, it's had some bad press for other reasons as you'll know uh, years ago but i mean it, recruitment to more far-flung areas can be very difficult it, you have to have people that really want to move to an area and make a make a career and enjoy the the surroundings but so and, and recruitment across the board can be very difficult but i think perhaps one thing would be nice is to say, look, the strength of our network and is a novel way of working should be attractive to other people to come and work and, and enable us to manage the ebbs and flows of work of, of, of the workload a little better. Yeah, and, and I think that support is key, isn't it? We're, we're all um, working exceedingly hard in this. Well, we've been working exceedingly hard uh, for for a number of years, but um, particularly post COVID, I, I guess there are advantages in in looking at different approaches. Absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm just thinking it it sounds like you're um, working with a, a lot of professional colleagues from different backgrounds and doing an awful lot of skilling up. Do you find there's um, opportunity to use the MDT for teaching um, at, at, at present, or is, is that something that you're maybe working towards thinking that you also have a, a an interest in education from your university role? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, we, we do. So we've we've got associate specialist colleagues that are training up and and and. and they're very welcome to attend the MDTs. Um, it's not yet been something that's particularly opened up to students, but I, I certainly think it should be because I think the, the degree of discussion around physiology and radiology is is pretty, uh, you know, unparalleled, I would say, obviously much better than any other area of respiratory medicine. But no, I mean, it's a very educational environment in, in the MDT. I, I certainly have really encouraged colleagues to attend our community MDT, obviously not the ILD, but the, the general community respiratory because... I think it's vitally important, particularly now we're under so much pressure, that we really get a deeper understanding of how our colleagues work in different areas. Because I think a lot of the problems exist because we sit in silos and we we only see problems, we only see work coming at it, we don't understand the other perspective of people. And I think that's a really powerful thing, particularly for students to see that collaborative working because it, it, it's um, quite transformational. And you go to many sort of strategy meetings, don't you, in in any service? And I, I think the last um, sort of how are we getting on meeting in, in our MBRN project, that what was really noticeable was just a sort of joy that people brought to the room because they could all describe what they'd done in their individual practice and how they'd changed things and how this was a really interesting and 
um, interesting addition to their work portfolio and it, it, it was reducing stress, the, the fact that they could collaborate as a wider group. Um, so I think if we can educate our students and see that sort of thing in progress, it's got to be the future because you, because the pressures aren't going away and, and, and there's not going to be a, a doubling of the, of the workforce anytime soon. Yeah, no, and and I I think as well uh, we we have to think about retention, don't we? If people feel satisfied and 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 working with the efficient Absolutely. models of care, then then it has to be a win win. And one very important point, which I'm, I'm keen on, is that we've set up a new service. It's really improved the access, I think, um, to 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 specialist therapies and close to the patient's home. But one thing I think has to follow that is building up our research portfolio, enabling us to have access to high quality clinical trials, because we've got to be very careful that we don't disadvantage patients who might have otherwise gone to a a more established, well-established specialist centre where perhaps more trials are running. But we continue to have excellent collaborative links with our colleagues in Manchester and Liverpool and and elsewhere. Um, But that's something I'm very keen to to build on. Yes, and and I guess identifying patients early uh, will probably mean that you have a, a lot of patients who are eligible for um, a, a, a wider network of clinical trials, um, and and time to go through that assessment, which is yeah for, good for your population. Absolutely. Um, uh, thinking about your population, it it might be too too soon to to know Tim, but in in terms of um, you spoke to clinicians feeling empowered and, and feeling less stressed. How is it for patients? Have you been able to do any patient evaluation? Or, I mean, obviously you're getting formal feedback as well, but could, could you give us a flavour of the patient's perspective of this this model? Sure. So uh, absolutely, I must admit that the, um, the formal patient feedback is a work in progress. There was an interruption during COVID to that, and we have plans for the, the, the questionnaires to come out and for all of our literature to be a network um, uh, template, if you like, so that will include QR codes and so on to link to surveys so that it, it is work in progress. I, I certainly, there's plenty of informal feedback that uh, patients um, who no longer have to travel, um, who feeling very confident that their their local hospital has a much more um, investiture in in their condition? I suppose one proxy of that is that of all the patients who had already been established on antifibrotics who uh, have been fully repatriated to our service from elsewhere, I, I, I could perhaps only perhaps think of one case where they were a little bit reluctant. So, so I think that you know this is something that patients have embraced. They've understood the importance of a local service. Um, but absolutely agree that we do we do need to formalise that. I think um, thinking of the MBRN side of things, you know, we've had more formal patient feedback and, and, and questionnaires there, which are again very positive. Feeling that you know patients patients know the frustration if different caregivers in their pathway are not com- not communicating properly and they're getting mixed messages. It, it, it's very, you know we, we've all been in that position in, in, in various spheres of life. It can be very frustrating. Um, so that that's some of definitely some of the feedback we've got yeah. to, to the positive. Um, I can't think of any you know particularly negative feedback about our pathway. Um, you know, apart from the fact that there's a lot of pressure and, and there is sometimes waiting times to, to be seen, which, which I think is is unfortunately fairly common everywhere at the moment. 
Uh, I, I think you've summed up that very well. Yes, and um, and I, I think patients understand that, provided that communication is there, um, and and understand that waiting times are not ideal, but um, they will get seen eventually um, by by uh, an efficient service. Um, just thinking. A, a, a bit more widely, because you marry, you mentioned um, Barrowing Furnace a, a couple of times, and, and forgive my ignorance, but I think that's a former shipping uh, area, Barrowing Furnace. It is. Well, it's still a very important area for the for the nuclear submarine um, uh, industry. So there, there's a very proud heritage of shipbuilding um, in, in Barrowing Furnace. Um, the of course that carries with it uh, a legacy of asbestos uh, exposure, um, and it, it's one of the uh, the, the highest uh, uh, prevalence rates nationally um, for for things like mesothelioma. So uh, that's obviously very important, and and I think another reason why it's vital that we built up a, a more robust service in our, in our area um, because we know that even if, if we're not dealing with asbestosis, that asbestos exposure is, is a def- definite risk factor for development of fibrotic interstitial lung disease. Um, so yes, I think, the, you know, that that's a particular reason why um, I, I, I shall not be uh, uh, resting easily for a while. There's, there's a lot of work to come and it's a, it's a, it's a very important um, uh, risk factor in the area. Yes, yeah. Well, it sounds as though you you have a lot of of, of energy and and dedication, Tim, and a fantastic team uh, behind you, and um, and, and certainly um, from what you've shared with us today, um, a very good track record with with collaborating and, and moving forward. So I'm I'm um, I'm sure that you will achieve great things in in, in the next years. Um, and and I'd like to just take the opportunity to thank you very much for for sharing um, the achievements in in this very beautiful geographical area. So I encourage people to move up to to Lancaster and environs. Thank you, Tim. They'd be very welcome, and thank you very much, Amory, for the uh, for the invitation. Yeah. Uh, thank you uh, for, for listening to this week's episode. And um, if you'd like to join us again for episode two. We will be discussing mental health and support needs in ILD, the carer's perspective. We look forward to you joining us then. Thank you.